Good evening. I didn't have any response. How are we all doing? Very good, very good. All right, so we, before I start sharing this, I just had a quick confession to make. How many of you were at the breakfast, business breakfast meeting on Saturday? Yeah, it, was, it was very good. And uh, I had a bit of, I was telling and about it earlier on that it was a very, and I encourage everybody to make it a point to attend because I was really blessed. I was in a group where we had to share our experiences. And I'm like, I have to be honest with you, it was very emotional for me. Some of them along the meeting, I, I broke down in tears. But I must say, the team were very supportive of me. So I'm still and I work on where work in progress. We're still working on. You know, sometimes when you go to some website, they tell you that website under construction. Yeah, I'm that kind of person. I'm also under construction. But it was a healing service for us, and I, I suggest to anybody who has a time when it's next advertised, make it a point to attend. So. We've been studying the book of Acts the last few weeks. Various people have preached various sessions about that. And just to, the Philippians tells us to remind you of what you already know is not grievous, right? So we're just going to do a quick recap to know where we are. So the Jerusalem was literally under fire, right? It was exploding with the gospel. Jesus had been crucified. The disciples were preaching God's word. Everybody was active serving God. And we read in Acts chapter 5 that uh, the church was growing in large numbers. He uses they grew from 3,000, they went to 5,000. And Acts chapter 5 yesterday, they gave them instructions, strict orders, never again to teach in his name. He said, instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make him responsible for his death. Some commentators say that half of the population of Jerusalem was being saved by the work the disciples were doing. Obviously, the devil didn't want that because this was a church growing, so they needed to do everything to stop that. The first thing that the enemy did was to persecute the church. That wasn't successful. Then they used, in Acts chapter 6, we read of the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They also used that form of hypocrisy to try to get into the church. Obviously, that wasn't successful. Now, the, the third attempt was to use memory. When they were sharing the videos, uh, Johnny uh, thought about that last, I think last week, that there was an issue with the widows being uh, gifts among them. So there was a bit of murmuring, complaining among them. That was also another tactic then, because can you imagine if the disciples had not realized that? Because they said that, listen, we need to stop this so that we can focus on the study of the word and prayer so that we can dedicate other people to focus on the hospitality part of the service. So that's exactly what they did. How did they solve that problem? They decided to select seven people in Acts chapter 6. They selected the seven people to help them. And then the seven people, Stephen was included. So this takes us to the Acts chapter 7 where we've got to. Out of the seven, they noted that seven, they selected uh, Stephen and Philip. And Bible tells that Stephen was full of wisdom and continued to do God's work. Luke notes that out of all the apostles, he was one of them that was performing miracles. So he also came to the attention of the elders. And he was accused of blaspheming against God, against Moses, against the temple, against law. So he was called to the Sahindrin that he needed to defend himself. That takes us to Acts chapter 7. So that was his defense. So I'm going to read from Acts chapter 7, 7 verse 13 to 35. 
The second time they went, Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, and they were introduced to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent to his father Jacob and all his relatives to come to Egypt, 75 persons in all. So Jacob went to Egypt. He died there, as did ancestors. Their bodies were taken to Sechem and buried in the tomb Abraham had bought for a certain price for Hamor's son in Sechem. As the time drew near, God would fulfill his promise to Abraham. The number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. But then a new king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. The king exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so they would die. At that time, Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had abandoned him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own. Moses was taught all the wisdom of Egyptians and was powerful in both speech and action. One day, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day, he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be their peacemaker, but he said, you are brothers, why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge of us? He asked, are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There he had two sons, his two sons were born. Forty years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he took a closer look, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses took the terror and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you are standing on the holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Now go for, and I'm sending you back to Egypt. I must be very honest with you. Acts chapter 7 seems to be a very boring text to me, because anytime I'm referring to it, just refers from verse, a couple of chapters, he refers a lot of history about Genesis, about beginnings. So you, I'm, I'm like, oh gosh. So anytime I'm reading that, I just jam the text from two, I just go down to the text Stephen was killed. Because you find out why is Stephen going back and forth telling the people of the history of Israel? He knows them. He was, don't forget, he was talking to the Supreme Court. These people knew exactly what they were talking about. But he decided to go into deep details to explain to them. Tom Wright, one of the books uh, Andrew pointed to, said that sometimes a story is the best way of telling the truth. He then uses an analogy of, if, if you enjoy cricket, you understand explanation very well. I'm not a big fan of cricket, so I didn't explain. But basically, to get to a point, the best way to say is to tell a story. William Neal calls his speech subtle and skillful proclamation of the gospel. 
Martin Luther also tells us that is the Old Testament is a cradle in which Christ was laid. And this is exactly what Stephen was doing to them. So Stephen started his defense. And he started with the first one. He said that the God of, Isaac, the God of glory. Why did he refer to the glory? Because he knew that these people were talking to understand who God was. So he was firstly accused that he was blaspheming against God. And he wanted to defend himself and let them know that, no, listen, guys, I'm with you. I'm not blaspheming against God. So he starts his, his, his defense. Uh, the God of glory, the first time that thing was referred was in Psalm 29, verse 3. He said that the God of glory, he started by expressing a heart of thanksgiving, a form of worship for them to understand that he wasn't blaspheming against God, but the God he's talking about is the same God they say. But the problem is that they don't seem to understand what God was talking about. He said, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory tended. The Lord is upon me. Then the verse 4 says of Psalm 29, says, the voice of the Lord is powerful. So he uses 11 verses to explain how wonderful and how glorious God is for them to understand that, listen, I can't be blaspheming against God because this is the same God I worship and that's the same God you should also worship. So we also went there to say that Maybe we can learn from Stephen this one that in everything we do in life, we need to start with our form of worship. And that's what we do in this church. We give God the praise. We give God all the thanksgiving. Then the story further goes on. So as I tell you, it was very boring. The story goes on. He now comes to talk about Joseph. It's like, listen, these guys want to kill you. They've come to ask you that, are these things true or not? When you go to court and a judge asks you, are these true? You go straight to the point and say, it's either yes or no. But this man goes on to tell them the history of Israel. Then he goes on to talk about Joseph. He says, first, no, first he starts with Abraham. He goes on to mention to Abraham, and uh, Alex did that, John did that last week. He talks about Abraham. He said, listen, this same God you are referring to, that I'm blaspheming about, is the same God that called Abraham when he was in idol worship. He's the same God that called him. He's the same God that gave him the promise. The promise of giving him a land and making his children plenty. He said, the same God. So how can you tell me that I'm blaspheming a same God? That cannot be the truth. So then he then further down went on to talk about the patriarchs. So Abraham had Isaac. Then Isaac had Jacob and then came to the patriarchs. And then he referred to the fact that Joseph was very, they were very jealous about him. So they sold him onto slavery because he had a dream. Then he went to explain to them, like, listen guys, this issue of rejection started from your forefathers. It was evident that your forefathers sold their brother into slavery, right? So in the same way, you guys cannot accuse me of blaspheming because it is you guys who have rejected the Savior again. So this form of rejection has been something, has, has been a system for centuries and you've now, you are now doing it again. So this is him defending the point of him that, is this thing true? These things that you've been accused, that you are blaspheming against God, that you are blaspheming against Moses, you are blaspheming against the temple and the Lord, are these true? This was his defense. You realize that he also went on to talk about Moses. He spent a lot of, if you read that chapter, he spent a lot of time explaining because one of the accusations was about Moses. So he told him, listen guys, I can't be blaspheming against Moses. I believe in this Moses. I give Moses the respect he deserves because it was from him 
that way, your people who went to slavery, he was a savior to them. He then went on to narrate the whole story about Moses, where uh, Moses went, he was, he was giving birth in, in Egypt. He was found by the, the, the woman. He went to Pharaoh's he was trained, he was educated in the land. And then after 40 years, he realized that he wanted to go and see his people. Then he saw his brothers fighting. And he went to them and said, listen, guys, you can't be involved in this form of fight. He separated them. Another occasion happened where an Israelite and Egyptian were fighting. He went to separate the same thing. And the person asked him, now listen, and he obviously killed one. The person asked him, now listen, guy, do you want to do the same thing you did to us that time? You killed him. They said, no. He said, when did God make you a judge and a savior of arrest? He realized that this was an issue for him. So what? He ran away from the land and he went away. So this is Stephen trying to explain to them that this same, I can't be blaspheming against Moses. This same Moses went away. The story goes on to say that he went to meet the burning bush story. He had an encounter with God. The same time he was having this encounter with God, but the same time the Egyptians were suffering. The Israelites were being punished in Egypt. The Bible says that there was a new pharaoh that had come up who didn't know these guys. And he was very concerned that as they grew in number, they were going to take over the land. So he decided to punish them very well. They said, the Bible tells us that he had made them do what? Bricks without straws. He was very wicked. At the same time, God knew that there was a promise over these people. Right? So he made a way for them. So Moses then comes back to come and deliver his people. So Stephen emphasizes to them the point that, listen, I can't be blaspheming against Moses because this is the Moses that gave us the law. This is the Moses that was our savior. So I can't be blaspheming against him. So he went on and on and gave so many examples. He, gave so, he draws a lot of parallels about Moses and Jesus Christ. He brought a lot of parables about all the things Abraham was done. Again, he said, listen, all the things that has happened that you are telling me I'm blaspheming are pointing to Christ. Can you guys not see this? It is evident that what all the stories he was narrating from Genesis 3 all along was referring to the coming of Christ. And these guys were not seeing this. So what do we learn about this? What do we learn about all these things? first thing I want to talk about is knowing God's word. Knowing God's word as believers is so fundamental to us. Stephen knew God's word. He knew God's word. That is why he was able to stand and give defense on it. Second Timothy tells us, for a time, Second Timothy 4, he says, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever they are itching years want to. They will reject the truth. It amazes me when you listen to social media now. I think since COVID, everybody has become a preacher. Everybody knows the word of God. And we need to be very careful with what we listen to. But Stephen is telling that we need to know God's word. In the same way he knew God's word to be able to defend himself, we also need to know God's word and defend ourselves. You realize that the four gospels, the disciples did not refer to the Old Testament, but it was after their experience with Christ. And when Acts came, you realize that most of them were quoting scripture. They were quoting the Old Testament very well. 
Second Timothy 2 says that, work hard so God can say to you, well done, be a good man, one who does not need to be ashamed when God examines your work. Know what his word says and means. Know what his word says and means. Other version says, you need to rightly divide the word of truth. That tells you and I that the word of truth can be divided wrongly. And Timothy said, we need, as children, need to divide the word of truth. And we always need to be able to give an answer when we are called. When somebody asks, why do you believe in Christ? You should be able to give a defense for it. Why do you believe in the community? You should be able to, and this is our faith. Why do you believe in Christ? You should know these things. And one of the things we can learn from Stephen, he said that he knew the word. He knew the gospel. He knew what it was saying and was able to make a defense concerning it. Yeah. So we want to continue. So the question we want to ask is that when we come to church on Sundays, why do we, why is the message recorded? I don't think Hans wants us to record the message because he wants to be on social media. The messages are recorded so we can go back and listen. We want to be like the Bereans. That when the scripture, we go back ourselves, listen, and set the scriptures ourselves so we can grow in the things of God. We need to have an appetite for God's word. That's the only thing that will keep us there. Psalm 119 has got 176 verses. Almost all the verses there refers to the word of God. Does that not tell you something? It tells you that the word of God is fundamental to our lives. And we can't compromise. But we have to learn and soak the word of God. I'm going to repeat a couple of verses, my favorite ones to you. 119 verse 11 says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart, that I may not sin against you. 33 to 35 says, Teach me your decrees, O Lord. I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice all my heart. So this is what God is saying. God is saying that the word of God is very important to us as believers, that we cannot compromise, and we need to do everything we can in our capacity. If it means spending time reading, listening, and doing what we need to do, so that you are equipped with God's word. The second thing I want to talk about was that the Bible tells us that Stephen was full of the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. You notice that when we mentioned, they mentioned all their names, there was Stephen and, Phil, and Philip. The rest were not mentioned again. I don't know what happened to them. But somewhere in Revelation, some of the time I'll talk about Nicholas and the rest. But the rest were not even. I'm tempted to believe that what was their level of work with God? But the Bible tells that Philip, Stephen was full of the Spirit. What does it mean to be, be full of the Spirit? It's a better way, allowing every aspect of your life to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's a continual presence. The concept of feeling in the, in the spiritual terms has to do with dominion and control. What is controlling your life? Paul refers to in Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 18, he says, So be careful how you live. Do not live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Then this is what I want to focus on. 18 says, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He gives a command. 
Why did he do that? Because he knows the impact of alcohol on your life. What does alcohol do when you take, when you are drunk? You lose your senses. You have no control of yourself. You be here. I don't know whether you've seen somebody drunk in the town center before. They are all over the place because alcohol has taken over their lives, right? He makes a direct contract with that and says, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's telling us that in the same way alcohol has an impact on your life, which is a negative way, allow the Holy Spirit to fill your same life so that the Holy Spirit will take total control of your life. And the Bible describes Philip that, Stephen, that he was full of the Spirit. Not only once, but there were several instances in the scripture that he says that he was a man full of the Spirit. I want us to look at this thing. There are two words in the New Testament when you talk about being filled with the Spirit. One was for service. It says, to accomplish persons will feel holy in Bible and affected and influenced. The word implies a single event taking place and empowering believers for the work of the service. So the apostles were given power to do God's service, right? But the other context in which the scripture uses being filled with the Holy Spirit is total control of your life. To experience being filled with the Spirit means allowing him unrestricted, unrestricted access to every aspect of your existence where he can lead you and govern you. One commentary says that being filled with the Spirit is living in the conscious presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, letting his mind, through the word, dominate every thought and action of yours. That is being full of the Spirit. A better reading says that being kept, being filled with the Spirit, having the total character of Christ. Do you know how to check that? When you are full, the fruits of the Spirit, you see them, right? Your fullness, you will show that how you are exhibiting those things. So one of the things we want to learn from Stephen this evening is that he was a person who was full of the Spirit. And we also need to allow ourselves to be totally full of the Spirit. It creates an image of sailing of a boat. You know the sail. The wind takes over the sail, the boat, and wherever the wind directs, that's where the boat goes to. Right, And this is what God wants to say. We should avail ourselves totally to him, for him to use us. He directs us. So he, we, you can't give him aspects of your life and say, oh, Lord, when it comes to my finances, the Holy Spirit, don't give me instruction. Just talk to me about praying. Just talk to me about blessing somebody. But don't talk to me about anything No, you are not being fooled. It means that Every aspect of your life, in your relationships, at the workplace, in your community, in your finances, in your health, you are allowing yourself totally to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. And this is what it means by being full with the Holy Spirit. So this is one of the things we can learn from, from Stephen. Then we also want to talk about, he explained that these leaders were rejecting Jesus Christ. And Stephen had to make a defense and tell them, listen, I'm not blaspheming him, but you are the ones directing Jesus Christ. It's very interesting that for, for, for us now, we become very sophisticated in our work with God, that we don't say that we don't want Jesus Christ at all, right? We, we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior, but there are aspects of our lives where we do things that are a form of rejection, that I think that they are a form of rejection. Because you are not going to say you deny Jesus Christ totally, but you are doing things that is a form of rejection. 
What things can you look like? Look like when the Holy Spirit gives you an instruction and you don't obey. I feel it's, an, it's a form of rejection. I see people come to church on a Sunday in the midst of worship. When God is moving, they are on their phone or they are standing outside. I see that a form of rejection. Because if you go out to have a meal with your partner, your girlfriend, whatever it is, and you're spending most of the time on your phone, you're not engaging with him, I'll be rejected. I'll feel rejected. I've gone out with you for a meal, and all you are doing, you're on your phone. You don't have time for me. That's how I'm wrong. We don't particularly say that we don't accept Jesus Christ like the leaders were saying. But our actions show a lot of the things that we are rejecting God. Distraction in our, in our worship when we allow other activities to take their precedence in our lives, it's a form of rejection. And that shouldn't be the case. This morning, Ed was talking about idol worship. It's a form of rejection. When you're allowing other things in your life to take place, it's not, you've not directly said that you don't want Jesus Christ, but you're behaving, your actions and things you're doing is a form of rejection. And as a church, we need to, as indwells, we need to work on that. A couple of weeks ago, Ellen was preaching here and uh, was talking about people coming to help in God's house. I'm sure a lot of people volunteered to help, but there are others who could have helped, but they didn't do anything. I think it's a form of religion. God is calling you for service, and you are saying no. You are not clearly saying that you don't want Jesus Christ to a lot of persons, so you are certain, but your actions are showing that you are rejecting serving God. I'm sure if the queen or somebody comes to call you to do some work for them, you'll be eager to do that. But when God is calling you to serve in his house, you are not doing that. So we need to reprioritize our actions. We need to reprioritize our thoughts and, prioritize and make sure that God is the thing that matters most. And we don't behave in a way that we are rejecting God in any way. Just want to say, finally, as I bring this thing, there are a couple of things I want us to pray about. Can we please be upstanding whilst we bring the meeting to our name? We want to pray that God himself will put a strong appetite in us for his word. We need his word. In this day, it's the word of God that will sustain us. So we want to pray that, Lord, let me have an appetite for your word. Let me desire you. Let me desire your word in all that I do. Lift up your voice in prayer. Lift up your word. Father, Lord, we want to thank you this evening for your word, Lord. Your word is life. Your word is giving us life, Lord. Your word is power. So we pray committing ourselves into your hands, O Lord. That's a church, O Lord. That's an individual, O Lord. We we'll desire your word than anything else, O Lord. We ask that we'll grow in grace. We'll grow in knowledge and study of the word, O Lord. Like the apostles did, O Lord. Lord, we ask that, O Lord, we'll desire you than ever before, Lord. Lift up your voice in prayer. I want to hear what you pray. Lift up your voice in prayer, Lord. We want to pray, Lord, Lord that, that we'll study your word, O Lord. We'll have a, the interest in your word, Lord. Let your word indeed transform our lives, O Lord. Father, Lord, we ask, O Lord, we'll have clarity of your word, Lord. When your people stand to read your word, Lord, we ask that you indeed give them revelation of your word, Lord. Understanding of your word, Lord. Even every family represented here, we commit ourselves into your hands, O Lord. That we will know you more, we will know you more, we will know you more. Create an appetite for us, O Lord. Create an appetite for your word in our lives, O Lord. Lord, we give you praise. We give you all the glory. We want to continue to pray as we pray. We want to pray. Lord, the Bible tells us in the same book of Acts that as, this, as there was confusion and memory in the church, O Lord, the disciples decided to 
delegate people to do his work, Lord. The Bible says, why did they do that? They did that because the elders realized that it will be, it will be a distraction from them, from prayer. Instead, they want to pray for the leadership of this church, Lord. That nothing will indeed be a distraction to them. That they will be able to dedicate themselves, Lord, to study God's word and preach God's word. That each Sunday they come and stand here to minister to us. They will not speak the mind of their own, Lord. But they will indeed speak the mind of Christ. They want to pray, contain the leadership of this church in God's hands, Lord. Father, we pray for aunts, Lord. We pray for Helen, Lord. We pray for Clyde. We pray for all the ministers, oh Lord. That, Lord, you give them the desire to understand your word, oh Lord. We want to pray that, Lord, nothing will indeed be a distraction to them, oh Lord. But they will be able to commit themselves, oh Lord, to prayer and study of your word, oh Lord. Father, prayer and study of your word, oh Lord. Prayer and study of the word, oh Lord. We want to continue to pray for ourselves, Lord. That will be people full of your spirit, Lord. Full of the spirit, Lord. Full of the spirit, Lord. In every aspect of our lives, Lord, we are asking, oh Lord, that you will indeed fill us, Lord. I want to hear the people praying, Lord, that you indeed fill us, fill us, oh Lord, with the word. Fill us with your spirit in every aspect of our lives, Lord. We also want to pray as we are praying for us, that you are praying for the spirit of discernment, Lord. It was very important for these people, Lord. If they are not discerned, they wouldn't have known what to do. We are praying that, Lord, every aspect of our lives, oh Lord, will indeed work in total discernment of your word, oh Lord. Discernment. We ask that the spirit, oh Lord, will discern at all times, oh Lord, that we'll know what to do at the right time. We'll know when to do it, O oh Lord. The Spirit of God will open our eyes that we may see things, O oh Lord. We'll open our ears that we may hear when he speaks to us, O oh Lord. Lord, we want to thank you, Lord. We want to pray for every member of this church, O oh Lord. Lord, we want to pray for every member of Forest Time, O oh Lord, that, Lord, you yourself will have your way in our lives, O oh Lord. Lord, we give you praise. We give you glory. We want to continue to pray this laid on my heart, Lord. We want to pray for Johnny. And Alex, oh Lord, they've traveled away, Lord. We are believing, God, that they are going to come back, Lord, with a new dimension of ministry, Lord. We want to pray that they will come back, Lord, revive, revitalize, oh Lord, to do great exploits for you, Lord. We want to commit them into the hands, oh Lord. Father, we commit this family into your hands, oh Lord. Father, that's our their way, oh Lord. Spirit of the living God, oh Lord. Speak to them. Minister to their hearts, oh Lord. Let them come back, Lord, knowing that, oh Lord, you've called them to do a greater work here for, your, for you, oh Lord. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we give you praise. Lord, we want to pray. Finally, we want to pray for every family. There are people in our families or in our workplaces, especially our family members, that have rejected God totally. They want to have anything to do with God. We want to pray that, Lord, in the same way you have come to the knowledge, God's knowledge, saving grace, Lord, the saving grace will find this one. So you want to lift up every member of your family into the hands, Lord, that doesn't know Christ, that has not accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and person you want to pray tonight, oh Lord. Lord, 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 visit them, oh Lord. Mention their name, oh Lord. There's nothing too hard for God to do. The Bible says that when one person is saved, the whole household will be saved, Lord. So you want to pray, committing your family members into your hands, oh Lord. Now, Lord, Lord, they will have an encounter with you. They will come to a knowledge of your saving grace, O oh Lord. Father, we pray for our family members. We pray for our friends. We pray for our colleagues, Lord. We ask this evening, O oh Lord, that you minister to them. Let them have an encounter, Lord. Father, deliver them from the peace of the enemy, Lord. Deliver them from the peace of the evil one, O oh Lord. 
and bring them to the light, Lord. Let them come into your marvelous light. Let them come into your marvelous light. Let them come into your marvelous light, Lord. Lord, we thank you. We give praise. We want to pray, Lord. The books of Acts is full of miracles, of healing the sick. We shouldn't be reading these things alone. We should, we should read them and we should experience them in our lives. So, so you want to pray for yourself. If there's any part of your body that is unwell, anybody, money of your family member that is unwell, you want to lift up them tonight, Lord. The healing grace is here. The healing grace is here to heal the sick, oh Lord. So you want to pray the Lord. Father, we pray for our friends. We pray for our loved ones. Anybody that is unwell, oh Lord, you are the one who heals. Your name is Jehovah Rapha. You are the one who heals, Lord. You died on the cross that your people walk in divine health, Lord. So tonight we pray, oh Lord, that anybody that is unwell, pain on the knee, pain in the knee. The Lord is healing. We are praying tonight, oh Lord, that everybody that is suffering from any pain, anything the doctors have diagnosed, that there are no answers to, Lord. Lord, we pray tonight, oh Lord, that your healing balm, oh Lord, will touch us, Lord. Father, Lord, we thank you. We bless you. We give you praise, oh Lord. This is a confidence we have in you that whatever we shall ask in your name, oh Lord, you will do this, oh Lord. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you, Nee. I trust you're encouraged. And uh, I was just reflecting on what Nee brought and just to encourage you in your own devotions this week that you'd ask God to give you hunger for his words, that you ask him to fill you daily with the power of his spirit, that you walk in the power of the spirit. And then the, the, th the third thing of of just being outward and remem remem remembering others that, that need His grace.